0: Good morning, we're going to spend some time reading the Bible now. Um, We've got two readings, the first is from Isaiah 26, verses 1 to 9, you'll find that on page 500. So I'll give you a second just to find that. Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down. The feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the righteous, sorry, the people of the world learn righteousness.
1: The second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 27, that's on page 797 in the Pew Bibles. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all, rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say about that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Excuse me. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of the circumcision a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, (coughs) in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was called it was credited to this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning everyone. It's a real uh, privilege for me to be able to uh, speak to you today while Mark and uh, his family are enjoying some holidays, a well-earned break. And as you heard, it's quite a long passage uh, to get through, so let's start by praying that God might help me to speak clearly uh, and help each of us uh, to understand uh, what God's teaching us through his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the Apostle Paul and uh, your word spoken through him and for his wisdom. And we pray that you'll help me this morning to speak clearly, to speak faithfully uh, your truth from your word. And we pray that you might help each of us on this cold morning to pay attention well and to be stirred by your spirit to understand uh, your truth and uh, your great mercy and love uh, as we see in this passage. Uh, Amen. Roy Ratcliffe, he is a a prison pastor in the US and uh, he specifically ministers to death row uh, inmates. And one particular uh, day he received a a phone call that there was an inmate who wanted to be baptised. He'd he'd become a Christian and he wanted uh, Roy to come in and baptise him. So he thought this is fantastic. He he went into the prison and to his uh, surprise the inmate's name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, some of you might remember Jeffrey Dahmer. He's known as probably one of the worst serial killers in uh, US history. Uh, he, he murdered and uh, had, had issues with cannibalism as well of over 20 people. But I don't want to focus on uh, what Jeffrey Dahmer did but Roy Ratcliffe's words about how people reacted to Jeffrey Dahmer's conversion because uh, he was disturbed by a particular question and it was coming always from Christians and the question was was Geoffrey Dahmer's conversion genuine and the reason it disturbed Roy Ratcliffe was he could tell from the way these Christians were asking was that they were always hoping that he would say no, no it wasn't genuine he could tell that uh, these people who are asking, you know, they've gone to church, you know, they've done good things and they've lived an upright life. You know, they, they're played by the rules. They didn't want, well, they didn't feel that someone like a Jeffrey Dahmer should be on the same playing field, the same level as them, afforded the same grace. And And what about us this morning? Think about yourself. Think hard. Is there... Is there someone who even you, know, you might not want to see forgiven? Someone who, you know, really, you'd be quite happy to see them go through their whole life and uh, not come to faith. See, it might be that, that we too might be just at that little bit more into works uh, than we think. That by sitting here in church, coming to church today, playing by the rules, being a good person that somehow that we've earned God's love? You know, have we lost sight that we're all in equal need of salvation through faith in Jesus? Because, you see, this was the huge challenge that the Jews faced in the first century. And that's what we see in this passage. See, they they had the law, they had the great patriarchs, they had kings, prophets, so much history. They had the covenant of circumcision that was given to them, uh, given to Abraham specifically by God. And it was now a massive issue for them to accept that non Jews could just come in and be justified the same way as they were. The Gentiles could come in, waltz in after 1,500 years of history of God leading his people, and somehow these Gentiles could be on an equal footing before God. It was absolutely outrageous to them. And this is the challenge that Paul's addressing here in this passage, 3.27 and 4.25 of Romans. And I'm going to split it up and address it in two parts. Firstly, righteousness has always been by faith. 3.27 and 4.16. And secondly, because God can always be trusted righteousness has always been by faith because God can always be trusted. So firstly righteousness has always been by faith because see to the Jews what Paul is writing here is like an earthquake, really shaking the foundations of their world Look at chapter 3 verse 28 For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law and then verse 30 Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. See, the law was given to Israel by God through Moses on Mount Sinai and the covenant of circumcision was given to their great patriarch Abraham. These are exclusive. They were given to the Jews specifically by God centuries ago. And how can Paul now be levelling the playing field And saying both Jews and Gentiles are justified by the same faith in Christ. We see here that Paul, being a Jew himself, he makes the case by going back to the father of them all, Abraham. And we see in 4 verse 1 he writes, Our forefather, this is very much written as a Jew, Paul, to other Jews. Addressing his own race. And he knows that by using the example of Abraham that he'll be able to get through to his own people. Because when we look at Abraham, there was probably nobody who was a bigger hero to the Jews. He was the hero of heroes. He was the very first man of their race. And also a man of inspiring and incredible action. And we see in 4 verse 2, If Abraham was justified by works then he would have had something to boast about. Because over 1,500 years before Christ, he was specifically singled out and chosen by God. We hear of the promises to him in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God promises to bless him, to make him a great nation, and that all people would be blessed through him. And we read in Genesis 15, verses 5 and 6, that God makes a covenant with Abraham to make his offspring as numerous as the stars. <clears throat> and then we see Abraham's belief and his faith in action because as Sam brought out so helpfully in the kids' talk, even though he was almost 100 and his wife Sarah was 90, he believed God's promise that he and his wife could bear a child. And it was just as impossible back then for a 90-year-old woman to have a baby as it is now. See, he was a truly great man of history. He believed and he acted on God's promises and what Paul wants to see here see his Jewish readers to see is something that possibly you know they've missed through all the keeping of laws and all the rules over the centuries that they've missed something that was written way back to Abraham and is repeated here in verse 3 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness his belief came first the righteousness was a gift. We see that in verse 4 and 5. It wasn't earned, it followed after he put his trust in God. And Paul brings in another one of the greats of history. There was Abraham, and then he brings in David, just to reinforce the point. The King David, he understood the same truth, and we see that in verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man who sin against the Lord will never count against him. See, to the Jews, again, David, he was another great Israelite of action and obedience. He's the one who killed Goliath. But he knew that his works, they didn't stand up to God's perfection and that he needed righteousness to be credited to him apart from what he had earned by his works. Righteousness by faith. And then Paul moves on in verses 9 through to 16. This is how it has always been. God hasn't suddenly changed the rules on the Jews. Abraham was righteous before he was given the covenant of circumcision. He was righteous before Moses was even born, before he could be given the law. It came first through his belief. As it says, he was the father of of all who live by faith whether they're a Jew or a Gentile. Paul said it just a few verses earlier and we we saw it last week chapter 3 verses 20 to 22 no one will be declared righteous by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. But this was very hard for the Jews. They had so much heritage, they had their ancestry they had really beautiful laws that were given to them by God and they had this exclusive covenant of circumcision. It was hard for them to not rely at least a little bit that that made them closer to God, that they were special and righteous because of who they were as a people, because of the exclusive extras they had and because of their community, that they were righteous and not by faith in God. there was a particularly um, dangerous beach. I'll tell you a story about this beach where there was a group of people who saw people being uh, swept away and they thought, we've got to do something about this. And they started up a little group of lifesavers and they would patrol the beach and when people got into trouble, they'd get on boards and go out and save them. And others saw what they were doing and thought, wow, this is great work, and, and joined them in their work. And the life-saving group got larger and did more work. And then they thought, we've got quite a large crowd here. Let's, let's start up a club. And so they started up a life-saving club and they built a large clubhouse. And they started to hold uh, social events, social functions. You know, they, they hired out the hall for weddings and, and things like that. And over time, they built up this really great club community and the life-saving sort of became less of a priority. And the club was, it was built on this noble idea of life-saving, but unfortunately, as the club moved on and on, that's all it became. It was just a club, and they actually uh, gave up on the life-saving altogether. I did some research actually myself about Bondi Lifesaving Club. It has over twelve hundred members. About ten percent of those are involved in life saving. And I imagine to to everybody else who's a member, it's you know it's a it's a really nice club. And and wouldn't it be terrible for us if our meeting each week became all about, you know, a really nice morning tea? About just about community and meeting together. A group of nice people who meet together, but losing sight in having a personal faith in Jesus Christ. We need to be spurring one another on uh, in faith and in love, sharing each other's burdens, seeking to glorify Christ through faith and action, not just on Sunday, not just at a Connect group, but every day of the week. Don't rely on our heritage in our club, but on faith in Jesus Christ. But for some here today, these words will actually be a great comfort to them. Because if you're here today feeling the weight of guilt and sin in your life, that you might be unworthy of God's forgiveness for something you've done, feeling the burden of trying to be good enough to earn your way to God's favour then these words are amazing words of life that we are all made righteous through faith in Jesus and this truth, it changed the life of the great reformer Martin Luther because before he discovered uh, freedom that righteousness came through faith and not works he was under a great burden I'll read something about his biography. It says here, Luther, he dedicated himself to the monastic life, devoting devoting himself to long hours in prayer, pilgrimage and frequent confession. Yet he was filled with despair. He said, if anyone could have gained heaven as a monk, then I would have indeed been among them. He said, I lost touch with Christ the saviour and comforter And I made him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. See, if that's you today, then you can take comfort. Because the great truth we see here is that by faith in Christ, you will be credited with righteousness. Made clean and spotless before God because of faith. See, Abraham and King David, they were both sinners. King David, he was guilty of uh, adultery and murder. Abraham, he lied about Sarah, his wife, being his sister. But they were both justified by faith in God. And that's, that's even true for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. Abraham was justified by faith and so are we. Righteousness has always been by faith. And then, second point, secondly, we see Abraham's faith in the God who can always be trusted. See, if you read verse 18, look at verse 18, you could be forgiven for thinking Abraham had this blind faith in the impossible. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. You know, and some people would say that about Christianity, that it's a delusion you know, it's not much more than a superstition or a crutch, you know, a hope, a hope for something better, but it's just based on wishful thinking. But see, this passage here, this blows that idea absolutely completely apart because the key to Abraham's faith is who his faith is in. And look at verse 17. Who is that? It says, The God who gives life to the dead... And calls things that are not as though they were. See, our God is the God who kept every one of his promises to Abraham. His promise of offspring. Even though he and his wife's bodies were as good as dead, as we see in verse 19. Descendants as numerous as the stars. Land and blessing. They all came to Abraham through God's promises. You know, this is not a delusion. It's no fairy tale or wishful thinking. But it's the rock-solid fulfillment of God's promises, his faithful promises that can always be trusted. See, Abraham knew that God was faithful and he believed and he acted. Personally, I find verses 20 and 21 uh, very challenging. It says there, Abraham, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I think, now, could that be said about me uh, and my life and my faith? You know, what makes me sometimes waver in unbelief and, and why do I doubt? And If I'm honest, I think there's probably two main reasons where I think unbelief can creep in. Firstly, I think sometimes it's a doubt of whether God's promises are true. You know, we're bombarded in this world by people around us telling us that Christianity isn't true. You know, every time I catch a train at Wynyard, I have to stand on the platform and there's this gigantic billboard on the other side about a new book called The God Fallacy I thought The, the God Delusion had just come out you know, a few years ago and now there's another book. And I have to stand on the platform and, and see this written out and there's so many uh, you know, smart people who, who seem to be saying you know, that Christianity is for small minded people And just a little bit of that thought creeps in. You know, is it really true? But if we look today, look at Abraham. Imagine how much more this would have been the case for him. Because he believed God before he had seen any one of God's promises fulfilled. You know, we have the hindsight of seeing God's promises to Abraham, every single one of them, fulfilled. And we have seen Jesus come to to earth and we've seen him raised, the risen Lord Jesus and his spirit within us. See, we have all the evidence here for anyone who has the eyes and the ears to accept it, for those who live by faith. And I think the second area of my doubt is sometimes I, I wonder, are God's promises really good you know are they better than the alternative you know maybe i should try to get the best out of what the world can offer as well as what god offers you know, better not be too too radical and miss out on you know some of the comforts um, you know of living here in curability you know maybe i want the best of both worlds but again look at the example of abraham you know he didn't try to get the best of both worlds he believed fully in God's promises. Verse 17, he didn't hold back. He believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He was convinced that even though it was really impossible that God would give him a son and keep his promise to make him a great nation. And he did. And it's not about how much faith you have. Jesus teaches that in Matthew 17 verse 20 where he says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Jesus is teaching that just even the tiniest, smallest amount of faith is powerful to do mighty things when it is in God's promises. And that's what Abraham knew. That was why he was so unwavering in his faith. Because God had made promises to him, and he knew that they would be kept. You know, have you ever seen someone and thought, Oh, I wish I had their faith? You know, you might see that of Abraham, I wish I had his faith. But it isn't the amount of faith that counts. Like we need to conjure up some sort of amazing faith to bend God's will. We must simply have faith in God and His promises like Abraham, without unbelief. It's the object of our faith that counts. You know, we, we shouldn't presume that God will do what he hasn't promised. You know, I want to sell my house at the moment. You know, I can pray to God that he might bring a buyer along, and he may, but, but God hasn't made any specific promise um, to do so. And he might have uh, you know, bigger purposes that I don't understand, that I don't see. We need to hold unswervingly to what God has promised to us. This is what Abraham did. And God's promises can always be trusted. And what is it that God has promised to those who put their trust in him? Look at verse 24. God will credit righteousness... For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, the God of love who gave his only son, who in verse 25 was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. That is God's promise to us that we can be made right with him through faith in Christ. And also throughout all other parts of Scripture, there are so many wonderful promises of God to us to hold fast to, knowing that he is faithful. See, the more we get to know God through his word, through reading the Bible and prayer, the more we're able to trust and see his faithfulness. Some examples, verses like Romans 8, verse 28. In all things, God works for the good, of those who love him. Or Matthew 6 verse 33, when Jesus is speaking about possessions and he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, these are promises that bring hope and bring life. They can always be trusted. We can be confident in God's goodness. Don't waver in unbelief but act in faith on the faithful promises of God. You know what? I don't know when my house is going to sell without a shadow of a doubt. I don't know. But there are things that I do know and I do know that one day I'll see my Lord in heaven. And that he loves me. And all of us here who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that. And so many other wonderful things because of what Christ has done for us and because of his faithful promises. And we know that righteousness has always been by faith and that God can always be trusted. As as Roy Ratcliffe knew, he can save even the vilest of sinners and that includes you and me. So put your trust in him. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your mercy and love. We thank you that you can make us right with you through faith not through having to earn our way through works. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for Jesus and his death and resurrection so that we can have life uh, eternal uh, with you. And we pray that you might help us each day to walk in faith, to act in deeds of faith in your promises. Amen.